Our reading today is from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let me pray as we come to this part of God's words. Our Father, we um, see in this passage that you have sent your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to us. And Lord, we pray then, as we look at your truth this morning, uh, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that we might come to know and understand the truth, uh, but Lord, too, that that truth might change us, uh, that we might become like your Son, the Lord Jesus, and love him. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever struggled with the fact that you can't see Jesus. Do you ever think, look, it would be much better if we had Jesus here in the flesh speaking to us right now. Now, some of you have heard me preach before, and you're like, absolutely, that would be better, um, if only. Uh, but it's a common question that we have. It's a really common question that children have. Why can't we see Jesus? You know, he's there in our, in our Bible storybooks. We look at him, we pray to him, but we can't see him. Why can't we see him? And it's a question that continues for many of us. Surely it would be better if he stayed on earth and was just visible to everyone. And that question's really heightened in our modern age and culture that we live in, which is so materialistic, isn't it? If you can't see or hear or touch or taste or, or smell it, then if we can't measure it in some way, well, it cannot be. It cannot exist. It's fiction. And some of the young people who we've got in here this morning with us may well experience this at school. People think you're just out of your mind 
to believe in a Jesus fellow who just can't be seen. We're troubled by the departure of Jesus. And Jesus himself knew that his first disciples would be troubled by his departure. And when you think about it, perhaps they'd be more troubled than we would be, because, well, we've never seen Jesus in person, but they have. They spent three years with him, he taught them, he trained them, and they depended on him. And now it's time for him to depart. His leaving for them is even more troubling. We heard last week John 14 begin uh, with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. And if we were paying attention, we may have seen that again in our reading this morning. Verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the whole of John 14 is about Jesus preparing his disciples for a future without him physically present there with him, with them. And he's doing that in order to prepare their hearts, to settle their hearts. Now, there are two departures in view. It's the night before his crucifixion, that's departure one. He's going to depart to go to his death on the cross uh, for sins, for our sins. And then he's going to rise from death three days later. And he's already told them that's going to happen, but he mentions it again in verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, he'll appear to them. Because I live, you also will live. That's departure one. But beyond that too, there's a more enduring departure. He's going to leave this earth after his resurrection, ascend to heaven to be with his father. And again, that's mentioned in our passage in verse 28. I am going to the father, says Jesus. And verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So what we have here then is good news for people troubled by the physical departure of Jesus. If you've ever been troubled by the fact that you can't see Jesus in the flesh today, if that's ever been a question for you, if that's ever made you anxious, particularly maybe when other people have mocked you for believing in him, Well then, listen up, because Jesus has got some really good news for us this morning. Here's what that news is. His departure means that we who love Jesus gain the tremendous privilege of the arrival of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's what we're going to be looking at. And the service sheet, just um, on the back there, I've just tried to pick out for us the various blessings and privileges that we Uh, we have, that those who love Jesus have when uh, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. Now I'm going to use the phrase, those who love Jesus, to describe disciples of Jesus. That's how Jesus describes them uh, in this um, uh, little bit of his teaching. It's a great question to ask people, not just do you believe in Jesus, but do you love him? I wonder if I asked you that, what would you say? Do you love him? And that love, of course, is not merely what you say, but proved by what you do. And Jesus mentions that repeatedly in this passage. Verse 15, first of all, If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And we become disciples of Jesus by faith alone, by believing in him. And Jesus has said that actually in verse 1. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. We're saved by faith and then only by grace. It's not because we're obedient that God saves us. But Jesus here reveals to us that being a disciple of Jesus is not merely to believe in him, but it's those who love him and therefore obey him. They keep his word. And for those who do love and obey Jesus, Jesus makes an astonishing promise. Let me read verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Really is quite something. Jesus is departing, but he says to those who love him, I will ask my father and he will give you another helper. A word helper there is a difficult word to translate. It essentially means someone who comes alongside you, who, who speaks words of encouragement to you, who helps you, strengthens you. But notice the words, another, another helper. So who's the first helper? Well, it must be Jesus. So Jesus is saying, look, this coming helper will be one just like me. But he will never depart from you. He'll be with you forever. Who is he? Well, he is the third member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, here called the Spirit of Truth. And I think Jesus calls him the spirit of truth here to establish that connection between him and this spirit. Jesus has just said that he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And now he says the spirit of truth is going to be given by the Father to those who love Jesus. Notice too just how clear Jesus is that this is a unique privilege only given to those who love and obey him. The world will not receive the Spirit, he says. It cannot, but you, my disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's a truly remarkable promise. Jesus' departure means that his Spirit, the Spirit of truth, comes to live in each person who loves and keeps his commandments. If you'd lived 2,000 years ago in a particular place, a particular part of Israel, well, then you could have met Jesus face to face for a few years. And that would have been wonderful. But in reality, only a few people could do that. Only a few could know him personally. But now, as Jesus departs, he promises that anyone who loves him in any place, in any time through history from that day on, Anyone can experience in his heart 
the very presence of God by his Spirit. Isn't that amazing? And in the next few verses, Jesus lays out for us several of those great privileges which the giving of the Spirit brings to us. And I just want us to pick them out from the text as we go through. So first of all, the first privilege that this giving of the Spirit brings to us is so that we might have and know the truth. So we've already noted that Jesus calls the Spirit here the Spirit of truth. Uh, Later on, chapter 16, Jesus will say that the Spirit bears witness about him. And verse 25, Jesus says to the eleven this, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Homer Simpson once said to Marge, every time I learn something new, it pushes some old stuff out of my brain. That's definitely my experience. You can ask uh, my wife if you want to know. Uh, Human memories are leaking like a sieve, especially when there's lots going on in our lives. And so there's a risk here that the disciples, well, they might just forget these critical teachings of course, don't have a, a smartphone they can just record it on. And to be honest, if you've spent any time looking at the disciples, you realize that actually they're pretty stupid a lot of the time, and, and they don't always seem to understand what Jesus is saying. So verse 26 is really important. It teaches us that one of the primary tasks that the Spirit will complete after Jesus' departure is to enable the apostles to recall and understand everything that he's taught them. That through the Spirit, Jesus' words are recorded in the Scriptures by the apostles, people like John, who are uniquely tasked to record them. Now, we don't have that same task. We're not going to today gain some sort of new special revelation from the Spirit about something that was previously unknown to God, uh, unknown to us, and there's something that God wants to tell us. That's not our job. But this is actually even better We now live with such a privilege because we can be absolutely confident that we have the truth. What Jesus says here in John's Gospel and and the rest of uh, the New Testament, he teaches us that it's accurately recorded. It's what God says to us. We can know that Jesus speaks to us today through his Holy Spirit-inspired words that was written by the apostles. And indeed, that same spirit of truth lives within our hearts to give us assurance of that. That's the first privilege, that we know and we have the truth before us. Second one is this. The spirit is given so that we might know that we're adopted and loved by God. Now, the language of family is all over uh, this passage And we all know just how important it is to belong to a family. And we all know just how painful it is to lose someone uh, that we love. Uh, My own father, he lost his dad when he was just four years old as a child. And even now he's pushing 80, he will still mention regularly just the effect that that had on him. 
the impact that it was on his life. To, to lose someone like that is such a big deal. Just see how Jesus refers to his departure in verse 18. See how it will be felt by the disciples. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. They'll have this sense of abandonment as Jesus goes to the cross. But he won't leave them that way. I will come to you, he says, referring to his appearance to them after his resurrection. Because I live, you also will live. And then he goes on to explain to them that after he appears to them at his resurrection, they'll then begin to comprehend the access that they gain into the family of God through him. Verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, when we hear that, it's a little bit confusing. What's he saying here? Well, just, just notice just how close the connections are that are being spoken of. The connection that Jesus has with his Father. But not just that, the close connection that his disciples now have to both Father and Son. I in him, you in me, and I in you. We gain acceptance by God the Father as if we are his son, because we are in his son by faith. And then more of the same, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Those who love Jesus, they begin to experience the adoptive love of the Father and the love of the Son for them. Now, how is this possible? asks one of the disciples, Judas, not Iscariot. It was a bad idea to be called Judas uh, during that time. You can imagine him at a party. You say, oh, you say you're one of Jesus' disciples? Oh, what's your name again? Oh, it's Judas. Oh, that's a bit awkward. Um, not that Judas, the other one. You know, he needs to just call himself Jude or something from now on. Judas, not Iscariot, uh, he asks this. Well, look, how is our experience as your disciples, how is that going to differ to anyone else's? Verse 22, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And here we get this astonishing statement. Verse 23. Jesus answers him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And you hear that, brothers and sisters. We will come to him and make our home with him, says Jesus. See, far from being spiritual orphans, abandoned by Jesus, those who love Jesus have God himself make his home in their hearts. With all that that implies, that we're adopted, that we're welcome, that we're known, and that we're loved. God sets up home in our hearts. 
How is it possible? Well, we've already been told in verse 17, by the Spirit who dwells with you and will be in you. What an astonishing privilege that God himself dwelling in us by his Spirit that we might know that we're adopted and loved by him. And one final privilege the Spirit's given for, verse 27, so that we might have peace. In 2007, a group of 23 Christian missionaries from South Korea were captured and they were held by, for 40 days by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And they were all held together for a while and before they were then divided up into threes and sent into different locations. Uh, later on, a deal was reached between the governments and they were freed, but uh, before that, two of them had been executed, uh, one of them a pastor of the church uh, that had sent them. On the last night, they, they were all together before they were divided. They, they tore up the pages of the one Bible that they'd smuggled in so that each of them would have a bit of the scriptures uh, that they could read when the guards weren't looking. One of the survivors later wrote about that night and he said that that night each of them surrendered their life to God and told him that they were willing to die for his glory. It's astonishing courage. But here's a remarkable thing. In this situation, which is, it must have been truly terrifying, it's hard to imagine something worse, the survivor said that he experienced the presence and peace of the Holy Spirit like he never had before, and he never has since. He said that, in fact, when they all meet together today, they long to experience the Spirit like that again. They had such peace that night that they even had an argument over which of them would get to die first. How can anyone ever get to that level of calm, settled peace. It isn't natural, we might say. And we'd be right. It's supernatural. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Spirit of God, given by Jesus, brings into the heart of a person such peace. It's my peace, says Jesus. The peace that Jesus has in himself poured out generously into our hearts by his Spirit. Why? So that we might not be fearful or anxious. Isn't that just what we need? And not merely for times of real severe crisis or persecution like for those South Koreans and indeed for the 11 that Jesus speaks to here. Don't we need that kind of peace for every moment as we look out onto our world and we see what's going on out there? Or for each moment as we face the uncertain future of our lives? And maybe you've come this morning you're just deeply unsettled by something that's going on. 
And I know some people here this morning are facing some really difficult things at the moment. Let Jesus' words be a comfort to you. With the gift of the Spirit, we can know real, supernatural, Jesus-like peace. My peace I give to you, he says. And he says to you, as he said to them, let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And we might stop there, but there's just a few verses left that we're going to cover. So in John 14, we've seen the, the troubling departure of Jesus. But knowing that we would feel that way, he, he explains to us that as he leaves, there will come the comforting arrival of the Spirit for those who love him and obey him. But there is an obedience in this passage that we haven't talked about yet in the final four verses. And it's the obedience of the Lord Jesus to his Father. So verse 28 to 31, as we come to the end of this section, Jesus gives us even more reason to accept that his departure from this world is a good thing. He says in these final verses, it's good that he goes back to his Father, that that his disciples would rejoice in it if they really loved him, verse 28. There is perhaps just a slight rebuke there. They've only been thinking about Jesus leaving them from their perspective of the loss that it would mean for them if he goes. They haven't considered at all the gain that it would be for Jesus. And it's much gain for him to be restored to the side of his father, who is greater than him, says Jesus, greater not in terms of his deity, but in his sense of authority, that, that simply that, that he is his father and he is, and Jesus is the son. Be great gain for him. And sometimes we can just be really self-focused, can't we? We can, we can think, well, how's what's happening you know, affecting me and, and what God is doing affecting me? Not thinking at all about what would bring him the most joy or uh, the most glory. We do need that little rebuke. Jesus loves his Father and he's seeking the Father's will and glory. He finds his joy in that and that's what we should be seeking also. His going to the Father is a joyful reunion that should be celebrated as gain for him, not counted as loss for us. But he wants to say even more. He wants to say that this love that he has for his Father is so great that he will go to the cross for us. That's what the note uh, the note on which this teaching ends, Jesus has said to us, Look, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But he's no hypocrite, is he? Teaching one thing and doing another. He doesn't require of God's children more than what he, God's son, is prepared to do for his father. Verse 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. At the cross, it it looks like events are spiralling out of control, and it looks like an absolute disaster. It appears that evil has won, that Satan, the ruler of this world, has triumphed. But it's not true. Jesus is not compelled by evil power over him. He has no claim on me, says Jesus. 
I look down at his last words. He says, rise, let us go from here. Well, where are they going? They're heading to Gethsemane, where Jesus will be arrested. The events of the cross don't happen until Jesus is ready for them. So he and his father are in absolute control, even at this moment in history when it couldn't look more like evil has won. When the body of Jesus is about to be crucified and dead and buried. If there were ever a moment in history that it appeared that God had just left the scene, well, it was then. If there were ever a moment in history to be troubled or anxious or afraid because we couldn't see God, well, it was then, wasn't it? If there were ever a moment to wonder whether God really loved us, well, that was the moment. But it wasn't so. Jesus obediently goes to the cross, not out of compulsion, not forced by demonic powers, but because of his love for his Father, who has sent him into the world to save you and me. As we close, here's the big implication for us from what we've heard this morning. For disciples, for those who love and obey Jesus, it's verse 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus' departure is a good thing. His departure to the cross was in loving obedience to the will of his Father for our salvation. And his departure to the Father after the resurrection meant that he could send his Spirit to live in each of us forever. And by the Spirit we have and know the truth passed down to us by the apostles. By the Spirit we know that we're adopted and loved as he makes his home in our hearts. And by the Spirit we can know perfect peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, um, as we look at this passage, we see ourselves in the, in the lives of the disciples, sad that you have left, uh, your son, Lord Jesus, has left this earth and we don't see him now. And yet, Lord God, we do believe what he has taught us, that it was good news that he's come back to be uh, with you. And we thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we might be confident in the truth of your word, that we might know that we're part of the family, that we're loved by you and your son. And Lord God, that we might know that peace that you give to each of us, because you're in control of all things. We praise you for this this morning and we ask that you'd help us uh, that as we think on these things over the course of the day and over the course of the week that we might believe them more and more and that we might know deep in our hearts your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen.